that's that's actually exactly what it means. Well, thank you very much for that Ukrainian language lesson. Um, Portland, I, before we go to Constantine real quick, I just wanted to ask you a very brief question. What is the apogee of Gimler's? I, can't, I have not been able to find it out for the life of me, if you can tell us. So the thing that is really annoying about Gimler's is that there is no definitive source that that tells you what the apogee is. Um, I I don't know what the maximum possible apogee is, but I do know from the measurements I've taken from the from the the shoots that I have been able to get good data on, they they had an apogee of around ten kilometers. Understood. The height of commercial flights, almost. Now, yeah, the thing is, is that. That does not appear to me to comport with what I have been told by various authorities on the subject of rocket artillery. But if I take the measurement myself and I know my instruments are good, then I have to believe my instruments. Well, thank you for the clarification on that point, Portland. Uh, to some extent, wouldn't it also depend on the actual range that's being targeted? Well, the thing is, is that you can you can shoot at shorter ranges by doing one of two things, which is shooting on a high angle and flying to a higher apogee so that the projectile comes down more or less vertically on the target, um, or by accepting a lower apogee um, and uh, trading vertical velocity for for horizontal velocity. Thanks for the clarification on that. Um, I, I had seen some sources that I, I tried, a couple of sources I looked at, there were some sounding rocket experiments done by NASA using M26 uh, boosters as like the, uh, the first stage. And I think they were able to hit like 90 kilometer apogees, but that was in a, you know, highly, uh, that was an extremely steep trajectory. So uh, the day was all over the place. Uh, Constantine, thank you for joining us. Uh, your hand is up. Please go ahead. Hey, Portland. Uh, while we have you here, I was wondering uh, what, like, comparing M M two seventy versus HIMARS M M forty two, M one forty two. What would you say in terms of, uh, uh, you know, its signature uh, when you're trying to hunt one? Because M two seventy is tracked vehicle. And um, M142 is is just you know wheel truck. It's um, it's much you know leaves much less uh, trucks behind it. And I was wondering, what do you think uh, the limitation of it in terms of it's being tracked and then hunted down? So that is actually something of a liability, and I worry about that a lot because if they've got halfway decent synthetic aperture radar. Um, tank tracks actually show up like a sore thumb. It, they they seriously uh, they they stick out. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a something funny that isn't unbelievably crude. They they're really conspicuous. Um, that said, if you employ the right kind of tactics and you um, forward deploy, M-place, launch your payload, uh, displace, and then get the fuck out. 
you can probably out, be out of striking range, even if you can't completely conceal uh, your location. Uh, got it. Do you think that fact that uh, this uh, the areas, for example, near Slovenia, uh, would that you know uh, you know how, how would say equalize this problem and uh, because the track uh, track trails are essentially everywhere, and uh, w- would you say it would be impossible to uh, to distinguish between, for example, MTLB or tank or some uh, SPG howitzer or uh, infantry fighting vehicle uh, to distinguish from the uh, using this synthetic uh, aperture radar. Uh, and you know, uh, essentially, you know, make this not important uh, because it's uh, there are too many tracked vehicles in this area. I think it mitigates the problem, but it doesn't eliminate it entirely. I gotta thank. Thanks for addressing it. Okay, since everyone is silent, I will. I will ask you. I will ask one more question. Uh, can M two seventy shoot two attackums uh, one after another one? Or when shooting such, uh, you know, it's it's a huge fucking rocket. Uh, it, you can shoot only one, just just like HIMARS. No, no, you can shoot them both, like, within seconds of one another. It is really exciting to see. It is really fun. Because you're just like, oh shit, that's a giant-ass rocket on the end of a pillar of flames. And look at that motherfucker go. And then there's another giant pillar of flame with a giant rocket on the end. It's very fun. So let's hope we see the the better, like, four of those uh, packed with two missiles, each one, shooting somewhere with, with really high precision. And uh, let's, you know, watch the Bovovna, uh, like my, my, <laughs> uh, my friends from Ukraine have been saying here, on the other side, on the receiving end. Uh, may I have a little comment about those huge rockets flying and it's being spectacular. It's not about the attackers itself, it's about Tochka U, the Soviet system. So uh, in 2015, in the winter, when I was uh, in Makivka, in my home, uh, I had such quote-unquote experience when uh, Russians launched two Tochkas uh, from uh, Zelony Micro District in Makivka towards uh, Kramatorsk and Slavia. Yes, it's actually pretty spectacular because when two huge uh, pieces of metal with flaming butts flying above you, it's it's something, especially the sound. It's not just the looks of it because y- you see, oh, it's it's cool. It's it's oh my god, what the hell is it? But the sound, the roaring sound of the engine. I'm not sure if... Uh, I'm pretty sure the engines of, on Atakums are different because it's a pretty modern system and they should be different because it's a NATO system, not the Soviet one. But Tochkas, they are, they are hella loud. You, you hear them before you see them sometimes. So I've never personally witnessed uh, a Tochka so I couldn't say, but what I will say is that the appellant on Tochka is a relatively old um, 
fairly low grade um, uh, butadiene acrylonitrile with a specific impulse of around 245 seconds. Um, so one of the things that makes them so loud is essentially that they are an exercise in brute force. There's, they're incredibly crude weapons in the grand scheme of things. Um, but um, that does tend to make them very, very impressive to watch, I would imagine. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, Portland, but Tachuku has a range of approximately 120 kilometers, correct? Or is that that's, a that's, public number? That's that's maximum. They can do the, uh, from the reports from the start of the war, where, uh, from the start of the invasion, when uh, our military said that they struck the Milerova airport with Tochka O, it was uh, 119 kilometers, and that was maximum. That was like the brim. Most of the times they should not be used, as I understand, uh, for that distance because they may not be as precise as they should. Again, maybe mistaken. I'm not like especially. So, um, with Tochka U, um, yeah, uh, about 120 kilometers is your likely maximum effective range, but that's more of a reflection of the limitations of their primary propellant. They have to use a ton of propellant to get going up to a really stupendous speed. Um, And they burn out relatively quickly. So um, HIMARS, for example, um, that rocket motor's burning for around 30 seconds to to get that thing up to Mach 2.5. Um, Tochka U is going to accelerate up to around Mach 4 at motor burnout. Um, and then it is unguided for the, sorry, un, unpowered for the achingly vast majority of its flight and it it tends to have quite bad drift um and this gets progressively worse and worse and worse as you fly to longer range well thank you for the explanation portland uh certainly informs me about tachka is um what's the guidance mechanism on tachka is it just ins it's a pretty crude rough and ready uh ins system um, one of their big problems is that they don't actually have a thrust flow sensor. So if you're not actually getting uh, the thrust flow that you were expecting, the guidance system doesn't have any ability to compensate for that. By thrust flow, do you mean like mass flow rate? Mass flow rate, yeah. Understood. And how do those sensors, how do they usually work? Um... I don't know the details because that's never been my department. Um, but a sense um, for measuring uh, how much mass is actually being driven out of the nozzle rather than um, just assuming that your rocket nozzle will burn at the uh, 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 intended rate. Understood. I, I have a pretty good conception of how they work in a uh, liquid fueled rocket uh, engines, but not in solid rocket motors. Um, it's pretty easy to measure liquid flow rate, fortunately. Uh, Liberals had his hand up for a while, so Liberal, please go ahead. Hey, John. Thank you. Um, 
Yeah, Portland, thank you for uh, being summoned. And you, you always come in at the right time. Um, I've been thinking about high Mars o'clock, and it's been pretty quiet tonight. Um, do you have any knowledge of any ammo dump strikes or anything to offer to make me sleep better tonight? Because it seems like, um, you know, outside of, uh, you know, Russian strikes on innocent people in cities, um, I'm looking at my, my feed and I don't see anything that is, uh, okay. So liberal, you, you cut out, but I think I got the gist of the question and I have both bad and good news. The bad first. No, I don't have any brand new strikes for you all. I'm I'm working on something a little bit different right now. I'm collecting data, trying to understand uh, why S300, S400 has been as pathetically helpless against high Mars as it has. So that's that's taking up a lot of my attention. Also, I'm getting ready for for trial. Uh, uh, well, what is case assignment? Friday. So everything's mad for me right now. Um, so I do have some good news, though, which is in the last week, Ukraine has um, has reduced ammunition and other supply throughputs to Russian troops on the front line by around 30%. There has been a a very significant drop-off in Russian artillery activity, um, as well as all the supply depot hits. Um, we know at least one S300 slash S400 battery got whacked, which... Um, is hilarious. The Russian government yeah. is is um, reportedly so distraught over the S four hundred debacle that there is a very sizable possibility that the director of Almaz Anti is going to wind up catching criminal charges. And also, we have two divisional headquarters annihilated. Um, three brigades hold at risk everyone, everywhere on every square inch of its territory. And that is why I am going to sleep pretty great tonight. Hey, Portland, before you go, if I may ask you, if I may indulge, um, if you may, can you draw a distinction between the M270 and the M142s and how um they may be distinct and how they're applied and what effect the uh, introduction of the M270s may have on the uh, battle space so the M270 is is it's it's a heavyweight it's not that mobile right it it, it moves at about 60% of the speed that a um, that an M140 can can move at, um, but that's okay because it has twice the throw weight. So what you would tend to do with this is that you've got these high mobility units that you've got running around up and down the front line, um, fire stomping and 
uh, reacting to situations as they develop. And then you've got your heavyweights, which sit in one theater and stomp the ever-loving shit out of one area at a time. Thank you, Portland. Thank you for coming up and uh, always appreciate you on the space. You are a Walter Report treasure. You are valued and uh, seeked and you know sought out. Uh, thank you. Oh, thank you very much, liberal. Well, I'm sure Portland appreciates those kind words, liberal. Uh, in the meantime, Dr. Paul, please go ahead. Sure, and I'd echo uh, liberal's comments to Portland as well. Um, Portland, quick question. What's the volume of the S-300 and S-400s throughout Ukraine? Um, how, how many targets really are there? Could you comment on that? Um, so there's at least four in, uh, sorry, there's eight in Kerch and Crimea and four, at least four elsewhere. The, we don't know which of these batteries are, um, are actually S-300s. Because, as previously noted, the S400 is really just an S300 PMU3 with a fancy dresser. So only 12 throughout the entire, you know, Ukraine engagement war, you know what I mean? Throughout the yeah, that's, that's what it looks like. If there are more, they're being pretty cagey about it. Um, uh, the thing is, is that you've got you've to look at these things in terms of their... In terms of their cost, these things are throwing missiles, which are between one and two million dollars each. Right, it, it, a full battalion of um, a full battalion set of S four hundred or S three hundred is about four hundred and fifty million dollars worth of stuff. They're incredibly expensive. They're very hard to manufacture. And the, the the truth is, is that they're incredibly opaque about how many of the S-400s they have ever actually made. Because the thing is, is that, you know, it's very, very hard to tell the difference one from the other. And in Portland, just a quick follow-up. So within each, you know, when I say S-300, there's like essentially three launchers of four missiles or something like that. Is that accurate? Uh, three to four launches of between four and eight missiles each. All right, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you. Portland, I have never seen an eight-tubed S-300 or S-400 transporter rector launcher. So um, the, the thing is, is that these missiles, um, so the, the Triumph suite has, to my recollection, I think four possible missiles that can be used with it. There are the very, very big, extremely long-ranged versions, but you can also use them with an eight-cell launcher for a smaller, shorter-ranged missile. I haven't seen many of those, but they do exist. Understood, yeah. All the ones, basically 9% of the ones I've seen have been the four-cell launchers, and then I've seen a, a number of the two sub launchers with the with the extremely long range one. Yes, actually, you you are right. It's actually it's between two and eight, not between four and eight. Yeah, I just wanted to report that language learner um, DM me, and he's playing pool with his uh, buds, and he will not be able to offer um, the language learner update tonight. Kind of uh, saddened by that news, but. Um, 
there's always tomorrow. Hey Amen. Yeah, I, he, I believe he posted a picture uh, to his page of him out, well, of, uh, of some scenery out in the middle of uh, somewhere with some horses riding around in some place. So I kind of figured that he would uh, be in the for tonight. Yeah, he's at a rodeo of all places. Well, at least he's enjoying his time all. Indeed, and he should. I really wish we'd been able to get finance up um, when that dickhead was on earlier talking about auditing the Fed. That would have been fun because he would have been able to do a much better job about explaining why that's a really stupid idea uh, than I could. All, all, all I could do was basically front. I think he did um, opine. I, I think uh, language chimed in if we're talking about the same uh, moment earlier in the space. I'm afraid I have no idea what either of you are talking about. I, 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 I heard there was about a four-hour period where everything kind of descended into a madhouse, and I missed three hours and 30 minutes of it. Yeah, John. So basically, um, the space devolved into um, whether or not Ukraine was corrupt and uh, how they um, were measured on a scale of corruption. And um, I don't think the speaker was malintended. I think it was just uh, not properly expressed. And I mean, Yehuda was here, Walter was here, finance was here. I was here. Yeah, and, and, and it kind of devolved into um, four hours of like derailment. And um, we were talking over each other, not me, I didn't speak, but um, yeah, it, was, it got pretty heated. But it was interesting and uh, passionate. And I kind of understand that everyone has a point of view. I think that one speaker was trying to say that we, I don't want to rehash this and derail the space again, but um, the Walter Report is symbolic of a democracy. And we welcome, you know, voices and points of view. And we may not always agree. But we can't agree that genocide is genocide. And that's um, where I felt we needed to get back to. So I'm glad that the space is um, back on the right rails. Agreed. I, like I said, I missed most of it. And I prefer not to rehash it um, if that can be avoided. If, you know, if it was as much of an issue as I have been informed that it was. So let's try to avoid rehashing that if at all possible. Um, Dr. Paul? Sure. Uh, thanks, thanks, John. Uh, Portland and others, anybody else on the panel, um, do we have enough data points to kind of like round out how many high marsh strikes or targets specifically, not rockets being shot, but how many specific targets are being targeted per night? Um, one of the ways I stay engaged in this is I like to model out some of these things. So if uh, Portland or anybody else can comment on like some sort of average at this point, like a 10-day moving average, that'd be awesome. So right now, the 10-day moving average is uh, seven targets a night. That's great. That's awesome. That's more than I was expecting. That's that's great. And what about the last 24 hours, Portland? Um, I haven't really been online much today, so I kind of missed everything. Um, today has been not exactly quiet, but um, there hasn't been anything that has particularly caught um my attention i know that they are hitting they're hitting targets but they don't appear to be hitting supply dumps as much as they were 
and it's it, your guess is as good as mine as to what the significance of this so Portland, that's awesome. Like the conversation you brought the other day, uh, I think it was one or two days ago where you kind of broke down, like they're breaking, you know, they're target, targeting the six combined arms army or whatever it was, you know, it's kind of interesting because my thought was, you know, if I, you know, in my naivete, um, I was like, you know, if, if I had that high Mars, I'd go and take out every ammo dump first. Then I get to the, the rail stations and all the like logistical hubs, blah, blah, blah. But what we're seeing is and the way you described it. It's like a very systematic targeted for likely specific fronts or avenues, um, not just a ammo depot, a command structure, and then SAMs, you know, the S300s or S400s. To me, there's a method to the madness. I haven't been able to plot it all out on a map. I bet you, if anybody is plotting that out on the map, it kind of reveals a very distinct picture, potentially, uh, that kind of takes it to the next level that we don't want to do for the Russians, uh, you know, that kind of analysis that provide them that maybe advantage, so... But is that accurate to, to say that it's a very systematic approach targeted towards very specific units and their support and then their anti-air, et cetera? I mean, that's exactly what's happening. Like Ukraine has a plan and they are executing that plan. Now, I have a pretty good idea based on what they've done so far about what they are likely to do next. And I, I have to tell everybody I am 100% here for it. It's going to be uh, Just in case, uh, telling about the plans and HIMARS, I'm not sure if that was HIMARS, but uh, there is a photo of uh, an explosion in Chernobyevka six minutes ago. Ooh, ooh. If you share. Have, please if share. Yeah. If you, okay, so rule in this space. If you get an interesting boom, uh, send it to me so that I can do my forensic shit on Okay, um, let me just find you here and send it to you directly. One moment. Thank you. And real quick, Portland, I was just going to say real quick, um, yeah, it's going to be rad because I have a feeling that the Ukrainians are going to get te- you know, substantially more ammo for you know the Gimlers than anybody expects that will ever be disclosed, and the Russians are going to be the most surprised. Um, so I'll just say, put, leave it there and say, yes, that's why. I'm like keenly focused on this, the number of targets, because I'm very interested in kind of quantifying how many targets there are to hit uh, and kind of matching that, that up against the, the potential, uh, likely the amount of rockets that the uh, Ukrainians are going to be able to launch at them. So, <laughs> so uh, speaking to that specific point, um, the one piece of this that I do like to draw everybody's attention to is, is this one fact, which is that um Ukraine has already shot more M31s than has been publicly acknowledged that they received. That's let's, good. Let's um I don't know, uh let's keep certain information on the down low. I don't know if it's OPSEC necessarily, but um I just wanna put that caution out there. It's like uh, with Israel's nuclear weapons. They don't have it, but they would not be afraid to use it when needed. I would just say I'm not surprised at all. Um, I think Russia is probably well aware of how many ammo dumps and command control centers are getting destroyed. So, But, yeah, I'm not surprised. I think Russia is going to be in for a big surprise, and the rest of the world is as well. So, uh, yeah, saddle up. It's going to be fun. By the way, Portland, I'd just like to quickly point out, um, in case you want to do some more of your analysis, about an hour or so ago, there was um, some outgoing missiles from 
uh, was it Oleski, which is a small town opposite uh, side of, of the Dnipro from Kherson. Russian missiles outbound, and about shortly after that, uh, there was reports of 10 arrivals in Mykolaiv, and Oleski was where there was a, a known Russian S-300 site. I believe the Ukrainians struck it, but I suspect that was them firing some more surface-to-air missiles against um, uh, uh, Mykolaiv again. Fantastic. I will look into that and see if I can get um, good data from it. Wonderful. Heliana and then Dr. Paul. Hey, Portland. Uh, grateful, as always, for your analysis. Um, so a, a while ago, um, but not not some some somewhere less than an hour ago, I believe you mentioned things like pods. Um, and I think you were referring to uh, HMLRS sorry, HIMARS versus other kinds of launchers, I think. I, I am not military, obviously. Um, and so is that correct? Is my recollection correct? And in what is, like, what are you talking about when you're talking about pods? You were talking about, I think, different amounts of, uh, I don't know, artillery in each. I don't know. Please yes. So, so the the um, the ready to launch missiles from an M two seventy or a HIMARS are stored in pods, right? Little rocket pods with six missiles each. The difference, the the biggest difference between the M two seventy and the HIMARS is that the HIMARS carries one six missile pod, and the M two seventy carries two. And and what are the implications? for that obviously numbers matter but um does that go into the i'm sorry i'm doing like 12 things at once so there's high mars high mobility i'm trying to understand the context and i am i'm just not getting it partly because i'm not able to listen right now that well but um anyway any context any more context that you can give sorry i'm getting yeah bad M270 um, is your heavyweight, right? It gives you the ability to throw twice the number of projectiles that HIMARS can throw at the expense of being a little bit less mobile in the grand scheme of things. So when people are talking about M270 being, you know, a, a significant capability improvement, basically, you know, the, the arrival of these first four M270s effectively doubles Ukraine's uh, long-range striking power. And the primary thing driving that import, uh, uh, improvement in performance is, is the fact that, you know, they've got twice as many pods. So they can also address targets that require either more saturation or more complete um systematic engagement of point targets within an area that that is fantastic thank you so much that's exactly the kind of information i was looking for excellent glad it could help thank you portland i'm not sure if you have any thoughts on this but one thing that has surprised me somewhat is um uh the fact that we've placed a greater emphasis on the um high mars rather than the m270s given that we have twice the numbers of M270s in inventory? So the thing about HIMARS is that um, what Ukraine has been doing for a little while is uh, 
is, is kind of a, a little bit of fire stomping, right? They've been running around needing to engage many targets which are widely spaced and therefore having a, a system which is extremely strategically mobile, right? It can do all of the things that M270 can do if you're willing to accept a certain reduction in throw weight. But what you get for that is um, it can do 60 miles an hour on the road where M270 can do 36 miles an hour. So if you need a relatively small number of units for hitting the most critical targets in widely dispersed locations as quickly as possible, you need high miles. Once you have bought yourself that time and you're settling in for an absolute slugfest, that's where you, you want um, to be playing around with M270. Hey, Portland. Uh, for the listeners, because we do this all for the listeners. Um, I understand that the uh, M270 is a track vehicle. It's slower, um, high Mars, you know, uh, quicker. Um, can you draw a distinction between the M270? And I think you've been doing that, but maybe it needs to be reiterated. Um, can you draw a distinction between the M270 and um, the M142s and their range. And um, why are they so different? Because, you know, most people are not military and they're listening to us, you know, go on and on and on about uh, high Mars or whatever. Um, and what impact the M270s may have on the battle space? Okay, so good question. Um, very good question, actually. Um, so the real distinction is that um, HIMARS is a low footprint unit. It doesn't take a whole lot of maintenance. It's very mobile. It's available around the clock. And it gives you the ability to hit very precise targets at very long ranges. Now, M270, much slower. Um, requires more maintenance, thus has more downtime. But if you are willing to um, accept that you can't run up and down the front with these things, what they do is they give you the ability to cover an entire front, an entire theater, such as Herson, and give that theater commander the ability to absolutely destroy an entire battalion tactical group at will anytime. So you're saying that the uh, M270 has a higher uh, explosive round? And it, has the, it, it fires the same round as the HIMARS. It just has twice as many of them. Understood. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Dr. Paul, did you have a question? Sure. Um, in Portland, I mean, basically the MT-70s, and this isn't my question, just following up on what you're saying, um, and I have a question after this, uh, but the MT-70s, I mean, those are probably going to be like hanging around in the same somewhat localized region or Oblast, most likely, as opposed to the high marsh could be probably moving around from different regions uh, to hit whatever they need to hit. Uh, and then my question is, you know, we were just discussing on kind of like the average targets hit per per day or per night. 
you know, do we have a sense of how many, and, and, and if this violates OPSEC in any way, just disregard, but how many missiles or rockets per target do you think there are and how to calculate? How would you estimate that? We know we aren't going to have the hard facts here. How would you estimate that? Um, so what I have been seeing the Ukrainians do every time I've done bomb damage assessment is that they have addressed each target with exactly the right number of rounds in exactly the right way to um, absolutely fucking ruin their day uh, and no more. Perfect. As long as that's good, that's all that matters. You know, I, I've seen when they killed that uh, command post for the uh, for the twentieth uh, Guards Motor Rifle Division. They put twelve missiles into that building, and it was genuinely a thing of beauty to behold. They used exactly the right number of munitions, killed everybody in that building, and then called it a day. Likewise, I've seen them put you know, one round into the right building in a specific ammunition dump and, you know, cook off the entire dump over the course of 12 hours. They're being very sparing and judicious. If they need to plaster a whole area with a dozen missiles, they are doing it. And if they don't need to do that, then they aren't doing it. Makes sense. Thanks. Thank you. Wonderful. In that case, let's go to Omar. Yeah, if the phone dies, don't, don't worry about me. It's just the phone dying. Uh, so I, I believe that just it boils down to, uh, like, it's a difference between an Explorer and a Silverado. Uh, you know, you can tow twice as much with a Silverado that is not as, as you can't park a Silverado in your garage where you can't park an Explorer or go whatever uh, you, you want to go with it. Uh, did, uh, did I get it right? It just does the same thing. It's just less mobile, which is, like, in the name. And also, I believe the reason why it was delayed is uh, because you can't get them in the C-130s. Um, you can't put a Heimers in the C-130, but not a, uh, a A-270. And I believe that, you know, we, we rely a lot on 130s and maybe we, we shipped it there or something. I don't know. But, uh, but is that accurate? Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, I, I figured that these were probably coming by sea, but... Um, you know, yeah, you, you can't actually transport a... Uh, it's too wide. The M270 doesn't fit in the back of a C-130. Uh, seeing those ships actually, like, in the in port is, is just... Uh, it's a thing of beauty, the, the transport ships that are going to Ukraine. I don't know, going to Europe, whatever. I just saw them leaving, and they were just beautiful. I hope they see more of them. We can only hope so. Hey, uh, so we're trying to figure out some stuff in the in the background here about co-hosting um trying to switch out people so if there are some um gaps in sort of the space in terms of uh people talking that's the reason just to let you guys all know um please don't take offense and um i'm gonna let john take over um again while i continue doing background shit and so has john been doing so thank you guys yeah, it would. Uh, I have to hop off in a couple of minutes. It would appear that everybody with uh, access to the host account is currently asleep. So this is a situation we're trying to remedy to get uh, uh, Joseph up as a co-host to, uh, to take my spot until uh, Doman hops on for the European show. I have a question. If um, well, there's a lot. So it was reported that uh, Turkey is trying to host um, some type of meeting to mediate between the uh the ability of ukrainians to ship their grain out of 
you know, the Black Sea. And it appears that they have that leverage already. They've uh, denazified Snake Island. And um, it it just seems like more Russian bullshit, um, if anyone can speak to that. And it is what they've been trying to do for months now. It's not new shit. It's the same boring fashion shit. Thanks, Portland. I've gotten the sense with all the the Turkey um, and Russian negotiations regarding grain, I've gotten a bit of a, a dog and pony show sense from it, you know, that it's just Russia and Turkey putting on a show and it's unclear to me how involved Ukraine actually is in those negotiations. So I saw the announcement, um, I believe it was originally from Politico.eu that you're referring to liberal. I would hold off on passing any judgment about it until we hear a firm, concrete statement from Zelensky or another, you know, Ukrainian government official in their, you know, acting in their official capacity um, as to the, you know, state of this negotiation, because it it just seems like a publicity stunt from Russia and Turkey at this point. John, I agree with you 100%. It's just fucking bullshit. Any negotiation between Russia and another country involving Ukraine sort of it plays into their narrative of, of down downplaying or downgrading European or uh, Ukrainian sovereignty, right? That's like that's my opinion of it. They're they're trying to get in as many meetings about Ukraine with anyone but Ukraine as possible that to legitimize, you know, their their narrative. That would be my argument. That's what they usually do. They want to denounce that. Um at this point just wanted to tell everyone that was glad to be here. I will go and get some sleep. And hope to see you soon in the, another uh, space for us to talk and discuss things. So, good night, everyone, and have a nice week. Good night, Sabulias. Thank you for being on the space. Big love, bro. Bye. Thank you so much. I was trying to read his name. It's got all kinds of crazy surlicks. It's Sibulia? I think that's right, yeah? Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, Sibulia. Yeah, when I first saw that he was, when, he, when I first saw him hop in the space, I, I opened, took a look at his profile, and I tried to like, try, I tried to read the Cyrillic, and I'm trying to get a little bit more practice at that, and then the, the font was just killing me. Yeah, all those little weird notches and stuff. Um, there's some exceptions, like for example, there's a an sh sound like sh, and then in Russian there's or, you know a lot of Slavic languages. Then there's like a little notch one that is like sh. It's like, I don't even know how to explain it. You smile when you say SH instead. It comes from the back of your cheeks instead of the front of your cheeks. Anyway, there's like lots of little notches. Um, and those are used for like other languages sometimes, like to denote to, to that they're different. But, I mean, like in Tajik, right? They, there's no H sound in Russian, so they make it an, a H sound with like a little notch in it. So, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so it was real, real crazy for me to read. But uh, that was great. I heard a little bit of what he was saying, but uh, I fell asleep and then I woke up and uh, John, John needed some some backup here and some someone to take over so i'm glad to do it john but uh we got to find someone to to swap us out eh yes exactly we're we're having trouble reaching moose so we're gonna have to figure out some other means here to actually get another co-host up joseph hanging you will be elevated um yes yeah, so i took my cues from walter because i was looking at cyrillic um text and i was trying to make it out and it looked like uh ukraine but how and then i heard walter say you know sibilius and i was like okay so that's the name and that's what i went with
Yeah, I need to learn a little more about Ukrainian. There's a few extra letters in Ukrainian. I don't fully understand how to pronounce. I need I need to learn it because sometimes now there's you know various text in Ukrainian that could could try to translate a little bit, and it would help. It would help to know things, and also just to help pronounce things in general. Hey Joseph, do you have any um, reports of booms like Russian ammo? depots being um, denazified tonight. I, I have, John, have you seen any specific information about new strikes besides the last one I heard about was, I guess, yesterday, what I would say, consider yesterday in um, Luhansk Oblast, and I think there's maybe one in Novokohovka. I mean, have we heard much, any, anything about strikes since then? Um, I don't remember anything in too great of a detail. Granted, that could just be because I'm sleepy right now and nothing's coming to mind. Um, but I don't remember anything major, unless maybe Port. Hopefully, Portland can correct me on that. I hope there's been something major that. I've- yeah, I guess Portland has. Have, are you familiar with any strikes in the last 24 hours that Ukraine has done against Russian targets? Um, yes, but none that I have really good information about, and uh, I'm waiting for. Um, I'm waiting for evidence to come up so that I can figure out. Uh, what is actually going on? Got it. Yeah, it seems like um, I don't know. At the moment, there's a maybe a little bit of a there's some quiet on the on the front lines right now in terms of I don't know what Ukraine's doing at least in in Kherson. But I don't know. I I think my issue right now is I need to start learning to balance between like hosting responsibilities and like getting information time. I think like Doman, you know, spends a little time before he gets on. Um, like reviewing and stuff. I think I need to start doing that a little bit more. Um, Cause I've noticed when I have, when I host a lot, sometimes I can get a little bit behind on specifics. So I anyway, um, I saw Kev, you had your hand up. Uh, go ahead, Kev. Uh, no, yeah, I, uh, I did have my hand up, uh, but the uh, conversation moved on. So I took my hand back down again, uh, just, uh, just to keep the conversation flowing. So um, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. Just um, yeah. Crack on. Thanks. Cheers. Oh, Slav, I saw you uh, came back. Uh, Do you have anything you wanted to add? Slava Ukraini. Here in Slava. Uh, Slava. Um, yes, today I learned a new word. It's Cebulia. It's great onion and a great person. Um, if you missed, it's completely great. So, yes, about the big booms, big bada boom. Uh, no, no big booms yet, but about the Kherson that I, what I keep hearing that something is happening. I have some few news. I will maybe share later because I need to organize it. But uh, it's still happening. I mean, some progress is still doing, still keep, keep happening, but it's quiet. Keeps quiet because it's like what is happening with the missiles and the Odessa, Dnipro, uh, it's like uh, it goes all in parallel. So it's like uh, what I see, Ukrainian uh, forces do not try to like uh, make big news, but they keep it quiet because like uh, we understand it. We got, we constantly under attack, uh, but they doing this progress. So more news is coming. So we're going to hear it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's been my sense is there's been a little bit of an information. Everyone's being a little quiet right now because things are happening and that's good. I mean, it's, you know, no, in this case, no news is good news. But uh, yeah, so that's but it's it's more it's good to hear it from someone who's a little bit more plugged in than, than me. Uh, John, any any thoughts about 
I don't know. I, I guess like you, you're a little bit more plugged in in terms of frontline stuff. I mean, have we heard much about territory changing hands at all in the last, let's say, 48 hours? I know there was basically that operational pause, quote unquote, for 72 hours, but go ahead. So it looks like the operational pause, quote unquote, might be ending. ISW is reporting that it may be ending in the next few days. And there definitely seems to have been an uptick in Russian assaults in the past 24 hours. I remember there was one on Bakhmut and I forget maybe one other, but they're both repelled. Is that, um, is, has there been maybe any, anything, am I right about that? And then has there been anything since then? Go ahead, John. All of my understanding is that all of the, all the renewed assaults have been repelled. Um, currently the, really the only area that I know of where the Ukrainians have lost, and, uh, I don't say significant amount of, uh, of control, but a noticeable amount is in a And it's not occurred quickly. It's been a very, very slow grinding fight. Apparently the Russians now control most of the town.